0: from the Whitaker family.
1: We are excited to come to you from our home this morning. I am Matt Whitaker, and that's my wife, Sonia. And we have five kids, as you can see. We hardly put on the couch here. We'll let them introduce
0: themselves. Uh, I'm Jud. I'm Brody. I'm Reese. I'm Quinn. I'm
1: Vander. Today, we just wanted to take a moment to encourage you with some of God's word and the reading of God's word. We're going to read today from Ephesians, starting um, in chapter 1, verse
2: 15.
0: For this reason even ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints I have not I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the Lord like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly
1: realms. Far above all room and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed him under his feet and appointed him to be head over
2: everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him Fills everything in every way.
1: And then now jumping down in chapter 2 to verse 4. But because of, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace,
0: expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith,
1: and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared
0: in advance for us to do. Amen.
2: Good day Highland Community Church. It is good to be with you again today. I don't know what kind of a week that you have had, but mine has been good. A couple of things that uh, Trudy and I did this past week. First of all, uh, we made uh, some Warm caramel rolls. That's been a tradition in our family for several decades. And so we made caramel rolls and got them out of the oven and rushed over to our two kids and their families and dropped them off at the door. And so uh, then we came back home and we snarfed down what was left of the caramel rolls. So after having eaten all those calories, we needed to get out and get some exercise. So the weather has been great this uh, uh, week. And so we have been to the golf range and we've hit some golf balls as well as I've been out on several bike rides. So It's been a very, very good week for me, but it's good to be with you here. We're recording on Thursday in preparation for uh, the weekend services. So we're delighted that you are with us. And parents, you'll see in the online bulletin that there are some instructions about children's activities that you can engage in during uh, this service today. So we're going to be jumping into the message here in just a moment.
1: Good day, Highland family. I'm Tim Goswiller. I'm one of the elders here at Highland Community Church. Welcome to our service this morning. Today I want to ask you, as you uh, went to the website to view this sermon, underneath the video, there is a little word over on the right hand side that says share. Click on that and uh, up are gonna come uh, a couple of social media platform options. And if you have an account with any of those, click on that and you can share it to your Facebook account. Um, Let's do that this week and be intentional about that. Um, A friend of mine at work has a small church, um, smaller than than, uh, Highland, and within a couple of weeks of them sharing their sermons and posting, uh, deliberately posting to uh, their own individual social media accounts, they had 5,000 views of their sermon. So that's 5,000 opportunities for people to hear the gospel that might not otherwise have heard it. And it's a very simple, painless thing. So there's, um, let's be diligent about doing that this week. Posting that to whatever platform you happen to be active on. And um, let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens to God's word when we begin to share it that way. Um, Would you join me this morning in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just lift up to you those who are hurting this week. Father, a friend of mine shared as an EMT that the number of cases of those that uh, are taking their own life has been increasing dramatically in the calls that he is going on. And that's in uh, communities close by us. And we just, I pray for those that are hurting silently. And Father, I pray that each of us, as we have the opportunity to reach out, would truly listen in those conversations and that we could be truly ministers of the gospel of grace in those situations. Father, I ask that you would bring people to our hearts and minds this week and that we would act on those, connect with those people, Father, that we could be your ministers. Father, we lift up those who are hurting economically and ask for your provision and for the provision of the body of Christ as we endure this challenging time. And Father, all those around the world that are going through similar trials, for those who are yet to experience what is coming to them. God, we pray for preparations in the hearts of those that are going to be impacted. Father, that the ministry of the gospel would follow close behind, and that you would be preparing your church to minister to those in need in all places all over the globe. Father, thank you for this week. Thank you for your provision, for all the ways in which you have Preserved and protected us, kept us in your care. We cast ourselves upon you, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Lost are saved, find their way. At sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame. No place at the sound your of Your great name. The enemy he, he had to, to leave at the sound of Your great name. time chi
2: familiar with oxymorons generally uh, defined as a contradiction in terms Uh, familiar examples of oxymorons uh, include such terms as that was a bittersweet experience or you are clearly confused there was a small crowd at the game yesterday or We all know that is an open secret. And so we've had that contradiction in terms. Some oxymorons, however, are actually more uh, uh, understood in phrases. So we hear this expression. The silence was deafening. Really? Or this one. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Winston Churchill said this. A joke is an extremely serious issue. Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And then of course, the beloved Dolly Parton says, you'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. And finally, then there's the great Yogi Berra. I never said most of the things that I said. Well how about this one, joy in distressing times? Would that qualify as an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms? I did a little research. The English word distressing comes from a Latin word meaning to stretch apart. Very descriptive, isn't it? To stretch apart. That English word uh, distressing is used in a variety of ways. Psychology, a person in distress is one who is experiencing extreme uh, anxiety, worry, sorrow, or pain. Boaters use it. They say that this boat is in distress, meaning that, of course, it's it's in danger of either sinking or being pushed into the rocks. In the financial world, they'll talk about a person's Finances being in distress, meaning that people don't have enough money to pay their bills. Obstetricians use the word to speak of a baby in the birth canal being in distress. Very dangerous to have a baby in distress in the birth canal. So we have this word which describes a really difficult time in a person's life. Now clearly today we are in both stressful and distressing times. And so the question arises, can we have joy in the midst of these stressful, distressing times? And I believe the answer is yes. In fact, there have been two kinds of stories that I have heard, perhaps you have heard similar uh, stories about how people are managing and handling uh, this most unusual time. First of all, there are the stories uh, and as people express something of of their stress and distress because of uh, what's happening. But I also hear stories uh, of people, especially families, families who are finding creative ways to connect with each other and also to care for others. And so in the midst of this pandemic, it seems as though there are stories of both distress as well as joy. And so there is a sense in which, yes, we can have joy in the midst of distressing times. Well, that is going to be the theme that I'm going to be unpacking for the next six weeks as we jump into a study of the book of Philippians. Now, as we begin this study today, I wanna make several clarifications, very important clarifications that will help us in our study of this passage. First of all, joy is not happiness. We want to distinguish between happiness and joy. Now, the definition of happiness actually has changed over the course of time. Going all the way back to Aristotle, he believed that happiness was the byproduct of a life of virtue. So happiness was not the focus of a life, but it was the fruit of a life that had been well lived. Well, that definition seemed to uh, exist for hundreds of years, but it was in the 17th century that the definition began to change. Happiness increasingly became associated with a more uh, vague metric that was uh, the sense of feeling good. Happiness was, was morphing from the fruit of a life lived well to the pursuit of happiness. So it went from a a fruit to a pursuit. And that pursuit was actually canonized in our uh, Declaration of Independence where the pursuit of happiness became an unalienable right that was equated with and given the same value as life and liberty. Just think about that. An unalienable right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now today, happiness is associated with such things as the avoidance of pain, the pursuit of pleasure. It's oftentimes equated with personal gratification of our sensory pleasures and assuming that this was all part of an unalienable right that we have as human beings. So when we understand what happiness is, we need to remember that joy is not happiness. Here's a second clarification. Joy is a major theme of the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are 27 different Hebrew words that are translated into our English Bibles as joy. Just think about that. 27 different words that are used to express the concept of joy now there are several of them that are really significant in the Bible and so uh, I'm going to ask you as I as they come on the screen for us to read these verses together first of all there is Psalm 16 and verse 11 David writes Thou dost show me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 4 and verse 7, we read, Thou hast put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Psalm 51, David's great prayer of confession. He asks God to restore unto him the joy of thy salvation. And then, of course, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We come to the New Testament. Romans 14 and verse 17. David, or excuse me, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not about food or drink, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And finally, in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So, some of the great verses in the Bible that talk about joy. So let's describe it as it's understood in the scriptures. First of all, we need to understand that God is joyful. That's part of his nature. And not only is he a God of joy, but God takes joy in us. God rejoices over us, the book of Zephaniah tells us. In other words, God enjoys us he enjoys all of his creation but he takes particular joy and delight in us now that's very important to understand that God finds joy in us we also know that God's common grace that is extended to all of humanity that God permits all of humanity to experience some measure of grace Uh, excuse me, of joy because of his common grace. However, a person's greatest joy, the fullness of joy comes to a person only as he or she experiences God. So I see joy as a state of being so in communion with God that we are fully alive. Let me say that again. It's a state of being so in communion with God that we are fully alive. Our mind, uh, our soul, our emotions are all impacted by God's presence with us. And as a result of being so fully alive, we experience laughter and praise and hope and confidence. It just spills over into all dimensions of life. That's what God's joy is. Clarification number three, joy is a dominant theme in the book of Philippians. This word joy occurs 16 times and is woven throughout each of the four chapters in this book. As I've looked at the book, I've discovered that that there are six sources of joy that Paul expounds upon that you and I can experience during these distressing times. Uh, The first joy comes to us in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1, and it is the joy that is found in our prayer rhythm. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we begin with verse 1. Reading verses 1 through 4. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the Saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the deacons grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy so Paul begins his epistle to the Philippians by saying that I thank God for you. And it's interesting, he uses uh, some very interesting phrases here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So it's very comprehensive, very inclusive in his remarks. Now, it was common for Paul in his letters to the churches to begin with a a prayer of thanksgiving and, and, and he rejoices for their faith. But there is something that is unique about his introductory prayer for the Philippians in this letter. He says, I always pray with joy for you. No other letter of Paul contains this distinctive language. This is the only time that Paul can say that I pray with joy for you. It's a very intriguing phrase. It's our focus. When Paul prayed for the Philippian church, his prayers for them were characterized by joy. Now, oftentimes... In our intercessory prayer for others, we find that there is an intensity about that prayer. Sometimes uh, there is a a great burden that we feel for these people. There's a heaviness that we feel for them. And, And that's appropriate, very appropriate, because people that we love who are going through difficult times, our hearts go out to them and and for them. In the scriptures, we have other word pictures. In Colossians 4, we're told that Epaphras was a man who was always wrestling in prayer for them. That concept of prayer as being a wrestling match, a sweaty, smelly, uh, grappling experience. In the church that I served in North Carolina, the prayer room we called on weekends, the war room. Because truly there is spiritual warfare that is going on when we pray. We also know that prayer is work. So these are very valid uh, uh, images of what prayer is. However, those alone without understanding what Paul says here, would not be the fullest picture of how Paul describes his intercessory prayer. He tells this church that when he prays for them, his prayers are filled with joy. And so the question for us is, how do I pray with joy for others? I'm so glad you asked that question because we're going to look at how Paul was able to pray with joy for others. And in these next verses, we're going to see four things that Paul does that brings joy into his intercessory prayer life. The first thing he does is found in verses one through four. And it is this concept of, first of all, seeing grace we're going to pray with joy for others, we need to see grace in those lives. So he refers to these believers at Philippi in verse 1 as being saints. Now when you hear that word saint, based upon your upbringing, your, your heritage, who you've been around, another a whole image comes to mind. And oftentimes a person who is considered a saint is a person who has lived an exemplary life. Above reproach, godly, always saying and doing the right things. There is something about their lifestyle that causes you to perceive them as being saintly. Now, when Paul uses the term saint, he does not see lifestyle nor does he see a person's behavior what Paul sees is the grace of God being demonstrated in a life he sees a person's position and status before God you see Paul wrote letters to churches and in these letters Paul addressed issues that had come to his attention and these churches were struggling with a lot of things They were struggling with false teaching, with dissension, sexual immorality, all kinds of very worldly, carnal behavior. And so as he writes to these churches and he addresses those issues, he always begins his letters with this expression, grace to you and peace, but also he refers to them as being saints now he knows so much about their lifestyle but even though he knows so much about their lifestyle he still says that you are saints reminding us that we are saints not because of the extraordinary life that we have lived but rather we are saints because we have an extraordinary God who did an extraordinary work through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and as a result of that extraordinary work, he bestows upon us an extraordinary status as being saints of the Most High God. Paul was able to see grace. Not everyone is able to see grace. Some people only see the gaps. You know, the church at Philippi had a lot of very young baby Christians. Baby Christians have experienced grace, but when you look at their lives, you realize that there's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of growth that needs to occur in their lives. It's tempting for us to see the gaps rather than to see grace. But I want you to know that if we were to have an intercessory prayer life for others that is is laced and filled with joy, it's going to be because we look beyond the gaps and we see the grace of God. And so that's the first thing that we do. We see grace. Secondly, we also see God. In verse 6, He continues and he says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He, of course, is a reference to God. And the good work that he began in you was the work that began the moment that we trusted our lives with Christ. The good work began that day. And Paul says, I am confident that this work that was begun that day is going to continue until the day that Christ calls you home. Paul is so confident that God is going to continue to sanctify and to bring that person into a a, a state of, of spiritual maturity that where there are gaps, Paul says, I know that God is going to deal with those gaps. And it's this this sense, this this confidence that that Paul has in God and God continuing to do his work in that life, it permits him to see and to trust his great God. It gives him this, this knowledge, this confidence comes from God's purpose in that person's life. And as a result of that, he can overlook the gaps. Now, what I'd like for you to do right now is I I want you to pause the message. And if you're watching uh, this sermon with other people, I would like for you to go around in in, in the circle. And I would like for you to not point out other people's gaps. We do that too much. But what I'd like for you to do is to go around in a circle and talk about how uh, other people in the circle have seen the work of God and God's grace in their lives. It's an opportunity for you to affirm one another, affirm God's presence in their life. And so take a few moments uh, to do that and then pray together. Now, If you're an individual, you're watching this all by yourself, you can still do it. You just hit the pause button and reflect. How have you seen the grace of God become alive and active in your life? Thank him for that. And after you've done that, whether individually or as a group, um, hit resume and we'll continue with the message. Welcome back. There's a third thing that Paul does that is significant in his intercessory prayer with joy. In verses 7 and 8, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. A third thing we can do is to value those people that we are praying for. Paul uses a term in verse five. He talks about their partnership in the gospel. Now, these verses seem to be indicating that that the church at Philippi had been very faithful in both praying in supporting Paul financially, both in his work, uh, in his missionary journeys, but also now as he is in prison. Paul is grateful for their partnership with him. But it goes beyond that. He he has a deep affection for these people and that is woven through all four chapters uh, of this letter. Scholars have said that this is quite likely Paul's favorite church. He truly loves these people. I think it's very true for us that people that we love dearly, we have great joy. We enjoy praying for them because they are so meaningful to us. Paul does that, and that's how we can bring joy into our intercessory prayer life. And finally, number four, is in verses 9 through 11. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fourth thing that that Paul does in these verses is that he prays godly character into their lives. His intercession for them and their spiritual growth comes from his sense that God is going to do a a great work. And so he prays uh, these great themes of character into their lives. His prayer ultimately was not about changing their behavior. It was not about behavior modification. But we know this, that if you and I were to pray godly character into the lives of people close to us, that we know that as godly character develops, that it will change their behavior. This was brought home to me uh, several years ago. I had observed something in one of my adult sons that was of concern to me. It was a behavior that I became a little bit concerned about. Uh, I shared it with my wife, Trudy, and she agreed she had seen the same things. So we begin to pray about that, that behavior. Now, we did have the wisdom not to talk to our son about that because we realized that it was just our sense. We didn't want to be, uh, be perceived as being judgmental or critical. But we were praying about that. I will never forget one day I, w- I was praying uh, about uh, the, the, the modification of my son's behavior when I heard uh, the voice in my spirit saying, stop praying, Dean. It was God's voice. And when God tells you to stop praying, he's got your attention. So I just thought there uh, for a moment and saying, "What, what are you saying, God? And quite frankly, he said, why are you praying about a change in behavior? Why are you not praying for the development of godly character in his life? And I said, oh, Lord, I am so sorry. I've been so off target. And so from that day on, and I shared this with the story with my wife as well. And so we began to, to pray for the development of character in their lives. And we trusted that God in his way and in his timing is going to bring forth any of the necessary behavioral changes that need to occur. I tell you what, our prayer lives for our son were transformed by praying character rather than behavior modification. Parents, it's so easy for us to move into the changing of behavior rather than the building of character. And so these are four things that Paul does that if we were to to, to practice them, we would find that our intercessory prayer for others would also be marked by joy. Well, before we end today, I also need to just remind us that We need to bring joy and pray joy into our own prayer lives as well. And so turn over to chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. We looked at these verses uh, several weeks ago as part of another sermon, but we just need to come back to this one more time. Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, notice that, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, there's no reference to joy in that verse. That is true. But here's what I've discovered. Where there is no peace, there is no joy. You cannot have joy when you don't have peace. They come together. And so this idea, this word, of being anxious it literally means being pulled apart. Something like the word for distress, the idea of being in pieces, being stretched. And the idea then is the idea of being pulled in a multiplicity of directions. I, I've uh, thought over the years that we could either be in pieces, anxious, or we could be at peace. In pieces or at peace. You can't have this, the, the two together. When we have peace, we also have joy. I truly believe that to lose one's peace and joy is a very serious thing. And here we're told that anxiety is a thief. It robs us of our peace and our joy. And when It comes to steal our joy and our peace. We need to pray. And so Paul says that we are to pray and and roll those requests over unto God. And eventually, I say eventually, the peace of God will replace that anxiety. I say eventually because it's not just a simple one-sentence prayer. I have found that the more concerned I am about things, that the longer I have to wrestle in prayer to release myself uh, of that anxiety, and it takes a while for me to roll it over onto the shoulders of God. But as I do that, and as I find myself being released From the anxiety, a greater sense of God's work and God's power, his sovereignty, all the great attributes of God, begin to fill my soul. And what happens is that peace and joy returns. One lady said it so well. In her uh, paraphrase of this verse, she said, lay it all out, friends, and don't leave anything. Anything out. Tell God about every fear and every anxiety. Play out every worst case scenario that you have and do this exercise with God, before God, and in God's presence. See what God will say and what God will do as, your, as you present your fears to God. Truly, God will provide a peace and a joy that will transcend these distressing times. Now, some of you, you hear this, you believe it, but you're stuck. You're very much alone. And I want you to know today that you are not alone. The Spirit of God is there for you, but also Highland Community Church wants to be there for you. And so if you're sensing that you just can't get out of this rut by yourself, would you please, please text Highland Community Church, email the church, and we will be responsive to you to follow up and come alongside you to support you and to pray with you, to help you in this season. Please do not go through these distressing times alone and isolated call the church and let us come alongside you please do it in the we were away,
0: without hope without light from you came.
2: you this day that you invite us into a deep sense of communion with you and that Lord our, our prayer lives can truly be filled with joy for ourselves for our own situation but Lord as we pray for others thank you for the practical nature of Paul's words to us at Highland Community Church this day Lord thank you that you have called us saints because we are children of God. Lord, thank you that that your grace is operative within us and we realize that, God, we've got gaps. And we see our own gaps every day. We see the gaps of others every day. But, Lord, in spite of that, you still choose to call us saints. How wonderful you are to us. God, we also believe that... uh, you who began a good work in us, that, Lord, you are continuing that this day, in even in this moment, that your work, your good work in us is unfolding. Lord, thank you for your purpose for us and in us. And so, Lord, today we choose to embrace you, thanking you for your grace, thank you for the provision of power, thanking you for, Lord, the assurance, the confidence that your purpose will be accomplished in us. And so we pray these things, not only in Jesus' name, but we pray them with joy today.
0: Amen.